Classics Fulfilling failed franchises Reinvigorating reviled rehashes It's the follow-up showdown With Paul Getz, Travis McMaster Hello and welcome to all you uppers and downers to the follow-up showdown to Nerds in Quarantine, where we give worthy second chapters to stories that don't have them. I am your host, the Midwesterner, also known as Paul Getz of the Clan Getz, and I am joined by my co-hosts, Travis McMaster and Lauren Picorni. Hello, fellow immortals. Hi, uh, we're also Midwesterners. Midwesterners. <laughs> I thought you were, were a Floridian. Uh, but before that, Kansas. Ah, I never knew that. I dare hey. say I'm a Southerner. No, she's from well, Arkansas. She's from the Midwest. Does that count? I don't know where the lines are drawn. Well, if this is the first time you're joining us, the way it works is we take a movie with either no sequel or an inferior sequel and each take a turn at pitching a better continuation. But in the end, there can only be one. Our guest today works on civic and nonprofit innovation in Los Angeles. Sutton Medhaker, uh, my self-proclaimed best friend, and the movie he has chosen for us to focus on today <laughs> is 1991's Highlander 2, The Quickening. Sutton, why'd you pick this gem for us? So I had actually recently watched Highlander, like rewatched it, and it was better than I had remembered. And I, I had always heard that The Quickening was just an awful, it was just a crazy movie. And it did not, I hadn't seen it and it did not disappoint. Oh, man. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, well, we'll start. We'll start by talking about the first one. It, it's a cult classic overall, I would say. 69% on Rotten Tomatoes. I think that's pretty fair in terms of its appeal. It was not a box office success. It had a $19 million budget and only made $12 million worldwide. Um, it was only became a cult classic after the fact by fantasy and sci-fi fans and uh, was helped along by the novels that were released between the movie and the television series. Well, and we were, the second. We were supposed to read all of those for this, right? You all read. Are we gonna- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We, there was a lot of ground to cover, but we did our homework, <laughs> hopefully. I guess let's start, you know, I'll, I, I got, boy, there's lots of notes on this movie. Lots of <laughs> writers, actors, directors, for the first time, music notes. Look forward to that. And Paul. plenty of fun facts. What's up, Travis? Paul. Pun. Music notes. Come on, guys. Uh, you're going to have a good uh, day today, uh, all right? It's going to be a good show good. today. But before we get into the wackiness that is to come, I guess let's just all talk about our own feelings and experiences with the first movie. I think like like many uh let's let's say B movies and, and this I didn't even realize this was a B movie until I watched it. Uh it, through my uncle. I've 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 uh, my favorite uncle Uncle Raja loves these sorts of films and and constantly is quoting uh random movies that are usually the sequels too that he likes but this one he also admits the sequel is crazy um but yeah he told me to watch it um and i mean it's 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 crazy for a b movie how famous it is i mean everyone knows about that like there can only be one like that line is famous people know that line i don't know why i knew that line without having seen the movie this was my first time seeing it was for this oh. podcast although i i owned it and i don't know why i think i must have borrowed it from someone and never returned it you know uh, one based of on the condition of the case when you lent it to me i think you were using it to prop up an air conditioner outside <laughs> i don't hopefully that wasn't me because i am i'm pretty sure that i brought it from michael arnett a friend back in st louis michael if you're listening sorry i'll give it back to you one day but uh, yes i was also very familiar with the there can only be one 
my incorrect assumption as to what of what there can only be one was that it was the Highlander. Like, there is only one Highlander in the movie, I guess, but it, that is not what it is in reference to. Of course the Highlander <laughs> is, well, it's only McCloud. Is, yeah, that is, yeah, that right. is. Exactly. I think the group is the Immortals, but they don't ever give them a name. They just kind of refer to them as Immortals. Like, yeah. All right, I'm realizing we're already stepping on sticky ground, and so hopefully this is a good time for two Travis McMaster minutes. What this is, is trying to explain both movies in two minutes. I'm going to deliver two mediocre minutes. <laughs> are you, are okay. you ready, Travis? I, I suppose. Good luck. Go. Okay, so um, Highlander. I didn't even know where to start. All right. Are you ready? Yeah, I'm ready. Give me the time. Let's go. And go. So Connor McLeod is a uh, 16th century Scot who lives in a small village and goes to battle over something uh, and is killed by Clancy Brown, the Black Knight. He wakes up the next day because he is an immortal person. He is driven from his village uh, with cries of devilry. Uh, whereupon he meets Sean Connery, who informs him that not only is Sean Connery Egyptian, but that both of them are immortal beings uh, who cannot die and will live forever and cannot fight on hollowed ground that will never come up. And uh, eventually there can only be one. And, and, then, uh, and then you get a prize called the Quickening. Um, and then sort of flash forward to modern times where uh, there's a, an immortal beheading fight and Kevin Connor McCloud gets wrapped up in a police investigation. Uh, whereupon he kills Clancy Brown, becomes the only one, marries the girl that was standing next to him, because that's how we do movies. And then he wins his prize, which is that he gets to age and die, and is also kind of psychic to everyone on the planet. <sighs> Highlander 2. The year is 2024. The ozone layer is gone, maybe. Kevin McLeod has Connor McLeod has used his something to build a shield around the entire planet, turning it into Blade Runner. Um, uh, no shit. Uh, in the past, in the distant past, they were, it was Mad Max times and, um, Connor McCloud and Sean Connery lived in a pre-civilization civilization and they were going to war against Michael Ironsides and then they got banished by clerics into the future, but without their memories, I think. And that is then, then, and then Michael Ironside sends two like bird, bird henchmen to kill them. Um, and then because there are immortals in the future 2024, now the, the Highlander immortal stuff starts all over. So he loses his quickening prize, which just makes him young and sexy and fighty again. And then, you know, and then it's a Highlander movie. Then he has to kill the bad guy, Michael Ironsides. But then there's also right. this weird. Okay, thank you. Yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well done. I, I, you did better than I expected. Just because it's so complicated, and that that's not a dig at you uh, this yeah. time. Uh, <laughs> that's how I took it. But okay. Yeah. <laughs> the only things of note that I feel like might be worth mentioning are that the quickening itself is not the prize. The quickening is the sensation of energy you get after killing an immortal. I also thought that, but I swear in watching the la these movies the last couple of days, I Well, don't. the quickening, what the quickening is changes from the first one to the second one. 
That's where. And the first one, it's the energy surge you get from killing an immortal, and the prize is only achieved once you've killed. Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. are you saying that there are discrepancies between these two movies? You're saying because <laughs> <laughs> whoa, Sean Connery's character Don Juan Ramirez or whatever he he describes the feeling. You're like you're feeling what you're feeling is the quickening this driving energy force within them that maybe does compel them to the gap. Oh, the gathering is the, is like when they, they, that's like the fight. Yeah. The gathering, (laughs) the gathering as opposed to the quickening is when the immortals come together to fight. Yeah. The only thing I wanted to mention sort of just came up by saying his name. Sean Connery is an ancient Egyptian by way of being a Spaniard. He spent, it seems like a lot of time in Spain. So it's like he's introduced as a Spaniard and then it's revealed he was Egyptian. I guess that doesn't really matter. And he has yeah. what I will call, he has an uncomfortable level of makeup on where I can't tell if it was just like a bronzer. In, only in the first face. one. I think uh, it was worse in the first, but I do agree. I wasn't sure if they were trying to do like brown face, like if they were getting towards just doing brown face for him in the first one. Yeah, it felt uh, like also, uh, yeah. one, also small note, and, and this is, I, I kind of knew this coming in, but I don't know if it's specified in the movie, although I did, you know, in addition to reading the books, I watched the alternate ending for the second movie, and it's very specified. The planet, they come from a different planet. In yeah, the second. well, and that, what you're referring to is uh, the theatrical cut. So what I watched on Amazon Prime, and I guess what you guys watched, is yeah. the Renegade cut, or the special edition, which the director changed things so that they're coming from the past, Mm. Whereas in the original, they're coming from a different planet, which um, you can still in the in the cut that's available. Uh, you can still tell, like when Michael Ironsides and when the Bird henchmen arrive in the future, they penetrate the shield. They come from outside the shield and go through it, and the technicians right. are like, "Oh, blah 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 blah." Hey, I'm really. I feel like I should be at this point chiming in to say, "Oh, I think it's better if they're from another planet." Long live Planet Zeist. Let's do that. But I think it kind of somehow does work a little bit better that yeah. they're past. So I, I don't agree. Know that nonsense is better than this nonsense, but it is. Yeah, I don't think either works flawlessly, but I think, <laughs> <laughs> I think the time travel aspect does work a little better. And then I guess I would say that plot-wise, the only thing that might be worth mentioning that didn't come up in the minutes was that Connor himself is responsible for the shield around the ozone. And that was sort of his Highlander attempt, his immortal attempt at helping the world. But the ozone layer has rebuilt itself and we don't need it anymore. And now that shield is kind of destroying the world. Oh, but here comes corporate America with the face of John C. McGinley. And he says, I want that money. I want it. Oh, that's a really good John C. McGinley. Thank I you. did I like not see that coming. We watch a lot of scrubs in this household. A lot of scrubs. I was confused about that. I'm like, are you saying that people are like paying you rent for the shield around the entire earth? Was this yeah, I think that is the implication is that all yeah. the countries are paying. And it's like, or what? Like, it's just like this weird threat. The shield yeah. just over Canada yeah. if the, if the rent <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I don't want to jump too far into talking about the second one, but it doesn't seem like John C. McGinley was involved back when Connor and Alan, his science partner, launched the shield. You know what I mean? So when did he come in and just start charging people, I guess is my question. But Uh, that was after that was like when like the shield went corporate. And like sold out and became all about yeah. big shield, you know. <laughs> yeah. No, but let, you're right, Paul. Um, let's, let's get back on track. Let's get back to Highlander. Uh, I'll 
jump into my notes here. So the writer's notes, this is pretty interesting. Uh, main writer Gregory Wyden, who wrote the script uh, as an undergrad for an assignment at UCLA and wow. sold it while still in college for $200,000. That was a different time, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, his, advi his advisor liked it so much, uh, said he should send it to an agent, and it just sort of went from there. The script was punched up by Peter Bellwood, who the only other movie I could find that he wrote was a Malcolm McDowell movie called Monster Butler. Uh, but he did write a fair amount of television. Could I ask a question and about Monster Butler that you might know the answer to? I probably don't, but go ahead. Is the monster the butler, or is the butler serving the monster? <laughs> I have only seen the cover art, but based on that exclusively, my guess is the butler himself is the monster, and I don't know that he's an official monster so much as he's just evil. Because it's really oh. just Malcolm McDowell looking, like, scowling. The third writer was Larry Ferguson, who wrote Beverly Hills Cop 2, The Hunt for Red October, Alien 3, and Rollerball. So my guess would be that he's some of the special sauce that really brought this thing together. So as far as that goes, let's, I guess let's talk about our feelings on the movie. I've never seen this movie. The two things I knew about it were like, there can be only, there can only be one and McLeod. I didn't like it. <laughs> I thought it was, it was very, very boring. It took itself very seriously I was expecting, I don't know what I was expecting. Like, from all I'd heard about it, I guess I didn't know it was such a cult classic. I thought it was just a respected film. Um, mm. But, I mean, it definitely reads a lot more like a, a B minus, C plus uh, movie. I'd seen the movie, my parents must have showed it to us when I was, like, really, really little, and probably when the second one came out. Because uh, I remember w watching it and thinking it was not scary, but, like, really intense. And Lauren and I uh, will talk about sometimes how, you know, rated R movies are there are more different kinds of movies used to be rated R. If they'd made Highlander today, it would be PG-13. Um, so as a kid watching it again, I was really put off by like the violence of even just like the quickening and the lightning and stuff. And every single thing Clancy Brown said, I remember being very uncomfortable with. Um, but I thought I liked it. Um, and it turns out I sort of did. Um wow. It felt like a combination of, you know, the energy Terminator has, the first Terminator, the kind of 80s, grungy, violent. And then Terminator 2 has that sort of like, like Lauren was saying, grown up, respectable, more kind of bigger vibe. These words are going to get me in trouble, I know. But you guys know what I'm, you out there listening, you know what I'm talking about. Highlander feels like it was pulling halfway in each of those directions. So I didn't really get to settle in. But I, I didn't dislike it as much as some, some other people who I, I had watched it with. Really, 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 of course, you know, enjoyed. Clancy Brown, yeah, sure. who yeah. could do no wrong. And Queen, um, and Queen. And Queen. This is my first time seeing it. I had anticipated thinking it, that it would be stupid. And I'm not going to say it wasn't. And I do understand not liking it. And I also understand it not getting maybe that much respect. Maybe especially because of how much of it there's been since. Uh, Sequel-wise and all that kind of thing. However, I loved it. I oh was blown away by this movie. And to your point, Lauren, what I felt like I was worried about happening was that it would take itself too seriously. And I really don't think that it did. I was expecting it to be have that sort of 80s vibe of like the hero can do no wrong. The hero is invulnerable, all that kind of stuff. But that's really not what you get, at least not from the first one. 
In the first one, you get to see his humanity over and over again, both in his past and in the present. I mean, I guess he's a little more invulnerable by the time most of the movie takes place. But one thing about it that I loved that I wasn't expecting was the type of humor that you got. And I think uh, my best example of what I'm talking about is the scene where he's being trained by Juan Villalobos Ramirez and Juan knocks him down and his wife laughs at him. And then he says, Heather, please. <laughs> Moments like that made you me so that. happy. <laughs> you, you called it out. Yeah. <laughs> that, that, that moment in particular and moments like that made me so happy because I was like, you know what? I really, really love this guy. He's not just a dumb, handsome, machismo hero. He's a guy who's been through some shit and he's just, you know, he was just normal and unknowing at some point. And he's had to go through a lot to get to the point that we're getting to the action that he's in. Um, yeah, I, I really loved it. And I agree with you. Clancy Brown, Brown MVP just slaughters it as the Kurgan. Honestly, the only real note I have for this movie is that the sex scene is so unnecessary and comes. I understand that. And so I was expecting Rated it. Our movie. What, I, what I wasn't expecting from it was that it would come so out of nowhere. Like literally the only build up to it is he tells her she's immortal. He's immortal, makes her stab him. Yeah. And then pulls the knife out and is okay. It doesn't even like show a healed wound or anything. Pretty hot. And then she kisses him and they have sex, which it's like that character had no, like she was fascinated by him. She she was like as a cop investigating him, but there was no inclination of attraction or connection at all at that point. And so while I was expecting it to get there, the fact that it just went there out of nowhere was like, okay, this is the one scene I think you can cut if you're going to cut something. But it was the 80s, as you said. I also I want to point out that the second movie was able to to even up one on the on the uh, how quickly we're going to jump into a sex yeah. scene. I mean, I was yeah. honest, it was like a scary sex scene in the second yeah, it one. It was like, whoa, whoa, we're not here. <laughs> you <Yeah>. just met. <laughs> like, yeah, like literally like 10 minutes and ago. murdered people. Then you walk out of an explosion. And then she climbed out, out, out of your body. Yeah. She climbs out of a dumpster. And even the yeah. kiss, like when they started kissing, I'm like, whoa, that was quick. And then when it became yeah. like, and they're in an alleyway, it wasn't even like yeah. a nice location. Okay. Anyway, sorry. I don't want to jump too far ahead, but yeah, well, I guess we'll, we'll get around. We'll get around to the second one. We'll get around to the second one. So my remaining notes, the director, Russell McCauley, who also directed the second one, but we'll get a little bit more into the specifics of that later. Uh, he also directed The Shadow, The Real McCoy, Resident Evil Extinction. And the Scorpion King 2, Rise of a Warrior. So kind That's of a, a descending <laughs> track. And yeah, it, it, he, he said the biggest challenge in this movie was the visualization of the prize, which, if you'll remember, was like the, the animated demons flying around and stuff like that at the end. Mm -hmm. um, I, did, I didn't and, clock that as the prize, though. I just thought that was a scary thing that was happening. Yeah, the, the prize is that you get possessed by thousands of demons. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I guess... I, my read on that was like Clancy Brown's so evil and has been killing for so long that when you kill him, they all like Ark of the Covenant tumble out of you. That's, your, that's your gift. <laughs> well, Russell McCauley's quote about that sequence was, not knowing what to do, we did what we did. So oh, I, want, I want that on a plaque. <laughs> I guess he has mixed feelings about how, how it ended up uh, coming out. But apparently a big part of uh, why the animation was used was to cover the wires that were holding up Christopher huh. Lambert. It's not a for that scene. bad idea. I mean, I thought it looked pretty cool. And, oh, you know, it didn't look that appealing as far as a prize is concerned. 
But my actor's notes for this movie, McLeod was originally, Kurt Russell was cast. And it was only at the insistence of Goldie Hawn that he left the movie to do Big Trouble in Little China. Ooh. Uh, Go Goldie. So could have still been, I mean, Kurt Russell would have made it cool for sure. I loved Christopher Lambert in this movie. I don't think so. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You got all the voices for this movie down. You're you're our impressionist today. Christopher Lambert spoke, barely spoke English when they cast him. They cast him based on a photo, basically. We know what they cast him. They loved him. his look. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, oh but he, he's obviously he, immortal. He pulled it out. I did. I, he's French. I, I don't think I ever knew that. I mean, I guess I could have assumed it because of the name, but I never knew that he couldn't speak English. I thought his voice, I just think his voice is cool. I, yeah, I didn't know if he was yeah. doing it for. I couldn't tell if yeah. he was doing it because it make it's actually so perfect for this guy who's grown up through the centuries and like yes. has this weird accent because of that. Uh, but I didn't know if that was an accent or not, and that's just his voice. Well, didn't he also? I felt like he was peppering in um, a version of a Scottish accent in there. Was he? I think he might have tried it a few times in the first one, at least in the Scotland. I think in the yeah, in the flashback scenes, I think he was trying a little bit. Okay, Peter Diamond, who played Facile, the guy he has the fight with in the parking lot after the wrestling match, that was the stunt coordinator. So those backflips were legit, and you know, just a part of his showing off his skills. Why didn't they ever show him like? Jumping up from it, because watching that scene, it just looked like they had one person backflipping and the actor popping up at, at points. It was absolutely. I did, he did, we did not get that payoff. It was, yeah, exactly. They did, like they really they did not made showcase it look like was- Well, there was the one part where he was just backflipping instead of walking. Uh, that was amazing. If I backflip instead of walk, I might, especially in a parking garage. Like I don't need to walk all the way down to find my car. <laughs> Um, and then my final actor's note for this movie is that all of Sean Connery's scenes had to be filmed in a week due to his schedule. Uh, and he had a bet with the director that they would not finish in seven days. The director won the bet and Connery earned a million dollars for that week. I don't think that's a very fair bet because he could just blow his lines. He could. I know, he could I know. how long that takes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just get sick and be like, "See, it took more than a week." Yeah, <laughs> that's a very good point. I mean, but honestly, because of just uh, knowing things about Sean Connery separate from this and everything I found out about him based on researching this movie, he seems like the kind of guy that maybe does that with every movie. Like, just dares the it, very much like his line in um, the second one when he's like competition brings out the best in a man or whatever. It's mm. like, I bet he believes that. And I bet he does that all the time where he's like, Hey, bet you can't get me out of here in two weeks. And maybe an extra. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, speaking of which is not today, his 90th birthday. Holy I believe. Oh, that's why I thought that's why we were doing this. This isn't oh, the whole <laughs> August, August 25th for your birthday. We're going to, we'll say nice things about. Um, happy birthday, Mr. Connery. Highlander. Hey, happy birthday. Okay, so let's talk about the queen of it all. This soundtrack is brought to you, for the most part, completely by Queen, the rock and roll band, Queen, (laughs) Uh, who rules, and uh, always and forever. And uh, apparently the way they got involved in this movie is the director, Russell McCallie, for the most part, is a music video director. He did a bunch of Queen music videos, but before Queen decided to do the soundtrack, they were offered originally, but before they decided, it was offered to David Bowie. It was offered to Sting, who was also at that point being prepped to play Connor McLeod in this alternate version. 
and Duran Duran was was big in, three. put into consideration. Um, apparently, the now largely forgotten prog rock band Marillion passed on doing this and has since spoken often and loudly about how bad of a decision that was. Um, Hard to argue with them, but I mean, <laughs> stick to your artistic guns, Marillion. Yeah. Merle. <laughs> Um, did anybody have any favorite Queen moments in the film? Just the opening is so good. Like the f- when because the Queen just hits you right in the beginning, right after they do the text intro. I love that. Yeah. That was pretty exciting. Yeah. I yeah. think I do. I do genuinely like the "Nothing Lasts Forever" song that has been stuck in my head for the last couple of days. Um, my favorite Queen moment, and there's a lot of good ones, but when the Kurgan is driving Brenda around recklessly and just mm. like torturing her that song is excellent and then it ends with this just amazing sample of freddie mercury doing a new york new york cover mm. i do remember um, that oh yeah which just yeah yeah delighted the hell out of me and apparently that brief little snippet has never been released on any album or single of any kind mm. it's like uh you can only get it on Ill- illegal bootlegs of the movie score i got Plenty of fun facts on this movie. I narrowed it down to the top three. I guess I'll hit you with number three, and then we can start rolling into the second one, and then we'll see how many of them get out there. According to the director, when they first shot the scene of the Kurgan bursting through the door to cut the table in half, Clancy Brown instead ran in and cut through the candelabra, nearly decapitating Sean Connery. That's the point of the movie. As a result, Connery's... (laughs) Uh, Connery stormed off the set. Later, Connery returned, and Brown apologized, saying that he was nervous. Uh, Connery joked that he should use his stunt double more. So, did they mm. actually use a real sword, or what the f- <laughs> what? Like, oh, I was just going. To, I just assumed that like Clancy Brown's raw energy, whatever he's yeah. holding, will become powerful enough to <laughs> destroy a chandelier and you know endure a nontagerian. According to the crew, Clancy Brown basically became the Kurgan, and so they all kept their distance. Um, I believe it. He's an intense man. acting. Man, he's great. But I have to imagine if it's an early movie of his, that's the character he's playing and that's what he has to wear on set all day. You might just sort of default to, you know, letting the crew be a little afraid of you so you can be scary on screen. Um, okay. Any other thoughts on Highlander 1 that anyone wants to get out there before we move into the second one? Uh, there was so- a lot of fun cinematography. And I know that's always the like you have such pretty handwriting of compliments, but uh, uh, of film compliments. But it did. It did some really fun, interesting. Dare I say, trauma esque. Such and I watched the first one live, texting each other, and you pointed out that that opening shot in the wrestling match looked like a drone shot. Yeah. Apparently, what that was was a computerized system that held the camera on four wires, and it was invented by the inventor of the Steadicam, Garrett Brown. Wow. And, I, and I, one thing yeah. I'll point out in this that before we go to the second one, which the second one destroys, is Connor McCloud <laughs> goes to Ramirez and goes, why? What the hell is this? Like, why is this happening? And he goes, why does the sun rise in the morning? Like, they, they leave it yeah. so, like, mythical and so, like, you know, and, like, I kind of love that. It's like they do so much world building and they just kind of go, fuck it. Like, that's what it is, you know? Agreed. When I was actually pretty happy with, I didn't think you'd ever really be told what the prize was. And then in the end, when he explains that it's like, I can have children and I can hear everybody's thoughts in the world. And so I will be of help to the world. Like I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. I didn't think they'd get specific on that, but that, you know, (laughs) if if you don't put it under the microscope too much, that makes sense as like a, 
universal logic for why you would have this system where immortals are born and have to fight each other till there's only one, and then the remaining one saves the world. It's as natural a cycle as anything else, you know, at that point. <laughs> the prosthetics in Highlander. Mm. Ooh, Ooh. This, the, the, anything that was made out of rocks that was meant to be boulders or castle walls. Oh, <laughs> it was just foam, foam, foam all the live long day. That, that, that did not hold up. And Suchin, you pointed out <laughs> that in, um, McLeod's apartment in New York, the ah, windows, yeah. <laughs> uh, and I found out specifically that those are actually photos of New York blown <laughs> up and cut into shapes that fit the windows. So totally. it is, it is exactly what it looks like. It is just photographs. Totally. That was a sweet apartment, man. Yeah. Pretty sick. Loved yeah. You have to be an antique yeah. dealer. Okay. So Highlander 2, The Quickening. Zero percent on Rotten Tomatoes. <laughs> that is too harsh. Really? Well, okay. I don't know. I was uh, happy when the movie ended. I was like happy that we I made it through the whole film. I do have some nice things to say about the movie, but I would agree that the movie wore on me as it went. Travis is going nuts waiting uh, well, to disagree yeah. with that. I mean, Please. yeah, at, at risk of sort of, you know, Flanderizing myself into a caricature of an opinion, <laughs> I really liked Highlander too uh, a lot. I had a blast. I will admit, it is a film seemingly for no one. <laughs> if you liked Highlander, there's no way you will like Highlander too. It's not a <laughs> Highlander sequel. It doesn't matter how interesting it might be, or even if it's any good. It's not a Highlander sequel. You're gonna be miserable if you don't like Highlander. There's way too much Highlander stuff in this movie for you to get engage with the other interesting stuff. So I think you can really you can best enjoy this movie uh, if you're watching it as a homework assignment for a podcast. <laughs> can I can I can I throw a theory that I had about Highlander Two out there right now? Please. I felt like the writer of this movie wrote a sci-fi movie and then got pitched the ability to do Highlander Two and was like, I can make this work, like. I, because I swear, like, Ramirez is in the film, like, you could extract Ramirez from the film almost entirely, and it doesn't change yeah. anything. And it's like, it's just this sci-fi movie. I mean, you go from, like, a historical fantasy film to this just, like, gritty Blade Runner sci-fi movie that's, like, just about a corporation manipulation. It's like, it doesn't matter that it's Highlander doing any of these things. It feels like, yeah. it just, it feels like that maybe was a separate idea, and they were like, you know, let's do it. <laughs> I do have some answers to this. Oh. <laughs> the, story, the story of this movie was written separately. It was written by Brian hey. Clemens and William Panzer. Um, Brian Clemens, okay. who essentially wrote for TV, most famously the Avengers TV show. But he was a TV writer from 1957 to 1999. So very long-standing career. He also wrote uh, the film adaptation of The Telltale Heart. See No Evil, starring Mia Farrow, and The Golden Voyage of Sinbad. He's a very extensive IMDb. Uh, but in any case, he and William Panzer wrote the story. William Panzer, his only other writing credit is the 1976 movie Steel, not the Shack Steel. But he also stayed on to write the story for Highlanders 3 and 4, which is interesting. <laughs> And we'll get into that in a little bit later. However, the screenplay was written by Peter Bellwood, one of the three original writers of the first one. 
However, I would say he is the least impressive of the three and not the man who came up with Highlander. Uh, by the way, that same UCLA student, Gregory Wyden, also wrote Backdraft. So that is his other sort of claim to fame as far as like uh, successful things. He does. Oh, and he wrote The Prophecy, the Christopher Walken hmm. horror movie. All three of them? Just one. <laughs> okay. But he did write Backdraft 2, the straight-to-video sequel. So while most of the sequels based on his work were, were written by other people, that one he, he did himself, interestingly. And these were all written in college. These are all from his yeah. college. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> to answer another part of the question, Sean Connery, and I have this under fun facts, but he is only in this movie because Christopher Lambert and him got along so well on the Aww. set of the first one that Christopher Lambert threatened to walk if they didn't put him in the movie. <laughs> Sean Connery want to be in the movie? I don't think Sean apparently because, be because he and Christopher Lambert were such good buddies, he wanted uh, to they, do it. They, they didn't know that it's possible to hang out outside of a movie set. So they're like, well, we're not going to be able to see each other if you're not in this film. Yeah, also, he's he's only like, a comedic person the whole movie. Like the first... The whole movie, the whole point of him is that it's like a funny joke that he's like yeah. from a different time. That's the whole thing. And I gotta say, I loved it. I, <laughs> I mean, I'm not gonna. I have, I have a handful of compliments about this movie. I will say it was a grating experience overall. However, Sean Connery, almost every bit of Sean Connery is about the not knowing about flying, not knowing about who's Max. Uh, like uh, uh, so uh, dumb that joke was so that, dumb <laughs> <laughs> all that stuff delighted me and it was but it also seemed like it was a subplot from a different film the sequence in which he's being they're making the suit for him i love uh, i love the i assume lampshade hangery of having the assistant continue to try to put a scottish looking sash on connery yeah. and the store owner removing it because he's not scottish He's Egyptian yeah. or whatever. The, the, just, yeah, the weirdest scene. That scene was so I don't know. Like that was a crazy scene. Oh, well, I also I also have a question. Like the he, Sean Connery doesn't get all these references. Like that's a joke. That's his whole joke. And for how many references he doesn't get, I forget the, what General Kagan. What's the other guy's name? Uh, that guy's uh, making Katana. references. Katana. Katana. He's yeah. making references left and right. Sure, he makes it, like a football joke at one point or something. I swear. Like he's yeah, making. Have that well, <laughs> I, 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 yeah. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense any way you look at it. But I guess I, my, how I made peace with that kind of thing was that, yes, he is from, he is like knowingly coming from a different time or planet, whereas Sean Connery is like almost reincarnated by magic that was established in the past. Um, um, how cool was that train scene, though? It went on for a long time. Yeah, I, <laughs> People were dying, that baby went flying through the air. Some guy I, had, I like, outer limit eyes for a frame. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I enjoyed that scene, again, as an out-of-context, just this is an enjoyable scene in a movie. Totally. Yeah. yeah you totally. have to kind of cobble to... Oh, that's that's the thing I had compared it to when I was watching it, is it, it wasn't as satisfying, maybe... <clears throat> uh, this is a very mixed metaphor, I apologize. It's not maybe as satisfying as a bowl of like Rocky Road ice cream, mm. but it does service very well as a mixed Halloween candy bag. Like they're not all going to be great, but there's like a Mr. Good bar or a crackle in there. Like that shield, that energy shield was cool. That's your crackle. Yeah. But yeah. Some I mean, it. and that's the sex you, scene in the alley. Well, <laughs> okay. So I, my overall feelings on, Two were right when it started, and when they got into these weird concepts right from the get go, I was a, I was a little bit delighted. I was like, okay, it's not making a lot of sense yet, but 
at least they took a big fat swing with what they're going to do with two. They're not like, they're going to say, let's just, the first one had cool fantasy concepts. Let's go with cool sci-fi concepts this time and try to make it work. And I felt that way almost all the way through the sex scene because I enjoyed the hoverboard bird people battle for -hmm. what it was. And then the sex scene to me a little bit justified the sex scene in the first one because it almost established like, well, when a Highlander does his magic, they're <laughs> resisting a Highlander or, or an immortal, I guess. But but then the movie continued and, better and better. had pacing problems. And uh, I because and I said this to Sachin, and I know you guys aren't going to agree with this because you don't feel so much for the first one i aside from that sex scene i don't think that there was a, a, an ounce of fat on the first one i think every scene moved it along i thought every scene was great i i, I, don't, I don't think that uh, i felt it was for it being a drawling uh story that took place over long periods of time and had all these uh, complicated concepts to explain i thought that it moved and i thought that it was tight so mm. i definitely lost that in the quickening the thing I liked about the quickening was that, and I wouldn't say that I, I liked either movie, and I don't think I'll either ever watch them again. I might watch the quickening again, <laughs> probably when but, I'm watching it. <laughs> but it was, it was at least fun. It was having fun. It, I enjoyed the ridiculousness of it, and there was, there was a lot of neat shots in it, um, like the, the shot at the end when they um, climb above the shield. And yeah. you can see like the sky and the mountains and stuff. That was a really that was a really cool shot. So it wasn't a completely outrageous movie, absolutely ridiculous. But I, yeah. I, I I enjoyed that it was it was having fun, and it made it more fun to watch for me. The worst CGI in it I felt was the plane that Sean Connery is on every oh, time God. they showed that for plane. Ni- for 1991, I'd say that's not. <laughs> I'm just saying that was the only one that stood out to me. Whereas the rest of it, I thought was pretty. Damn good. That plane were, safety that video a- made me laugh a lot. Oh. That was it was so absurd, but it was I mean, just the, yeah. I was like if that was a skit, that would have been hilarious. Well, because I, it was I, just- Robocop. I felt the same for the uh psychic chef psychic oh. cook oh. show. Yeah. What yes. a fun, weird sci-fi thing. Oh, and also Sean Connery's intro. He just drops into a play and we just for the yeah. longest time have this weird joke scene about him not understanding that he's in a play. Before we move too far away from Sean Connery, I got I got fun facts. I got fun facts for days about this guy. The voiceover that he does at the beginning of the first one has an echo effect because it was recorded in his bathroom of a Spanish villa that he owned where he had been working with a voice coach in order to perfect the Spanish accent he used in the movie. I don't remember a Spanish accent. Um, why did they bother? Why did he bother saying that he's Egyptian? I, I, I don't, I don't understand. That. Yeah, I don't. And, and he's so and, and so much of the movie is about Scotland. And he's so Scottish that it's it's bizarre. But his entire <laughs> so. is very like Spanish. It's also, I like the. The yeah. description of perfecting a Spanish accent too was I, yeah. I love that. That's, uh, <laughs> was, is that what he did? I don't. I don't remember an accent at all, but I do I, feel like I remember a vague attempt in the first one. Whereas in the second one, I felt like he didn't attempt at all. Like but. at no point in either of the movies that I ever have the thought, "Oh, he doesn't sound exactly like Sean Connery talking like Sean Connery." I guess I just like the first one. I really was able to take all the characters seriously because I felt like they were taking the characters seriously. 
Whereas in the second one, and there's a good transition to some of these facts, uh, I, I can, I do have a little bit more of an answer of what happened with the second one. It was shot entire, almost entirely in Argentina because the country's economy had just crashed and they were really trying to get income. Uh, as local economy. Did it help? No. As the local oh. economy <laughs> experienced hyperinflation, the film's investors took direct control of the film, removing the director and his creative influence and changed all kinds of parts of the story, trying to make the movie that they thought would make the most money. Ah, did it um, work? <laughs> no. It had a $34 million budget, three and a half million of which went to Sean Connery for a nine-day shoot. It was nine days? I would have sworn that was one day per set. I assume <laughs> they had him for like three and a half days. And in the course of those nine days, Christopher Lambert was unable to shoot any daytime scenes because he and Sean Connery went out to discotheques every night. And he had hang <laughs> a hangover every day. So wow. he was right. Really, really, the the winners of this movie were Christopher Lambert and Sean Connery. Yeah. <laughs> and I, 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 and I don't know if this is even uh, this is a fun fact quote that I got from the X-ray on Amazon. Mm -hmm. And it's a weird fun fact for them to throw, which is like Christopher Lambert got swindled out of all the money he made yeah. on this movie. In the second one, okay. yes, yes, that is one of my fun, not so fun facts. Um, oh, wow, I know I'm a poor person, but don't you just uh, take the check to your was, bank and say was, in my account, please. He was cheated by false Argentinian businessmen to invest the money he got in some financial managements and lost all of it. Oh, I don't even understand well, that. that. That sounds like a bad decision. I'd say swindle's kind of a hard maybe it, word. Maybe it happened <laughs> during one of those nine days he was partying with Connery. They made a, they made an incredible pitch at the discotheque. It was like <laughs> he, it was bottle service and a financial management pitch, and he, he couldn't resist. <laughs> My other fun Sean Connery facts are that this is the only character he has ever played more than once, uh, aside from James Bond. Wow. I don't, why, I don't know why I'm racking my brain trying to verify that. <laughs> He's lying. obviously true if you look it up. That um, is... That's wild, actually. My fun fact uh, about the swords that you asked about, uh, Christopher Lambert, because of the fact they had used real swords in the first one, refused to use a fake sword in the second one. In his first scene with it, he cut his finger to the bone, um, oh. And later, Michael Ironside dislocated his jaw during one of their sword fights. And so after that, Lambert agreed to use a fake sword. I was going to say, after is that second injury? After the second injury, after Michael Ironside's injury. I, he, I think he was fine with his own injuries. Uh, oh, I see. Supposedly, I mean, I when he cut his finger, he insisted on they continue because he didn't want the crew to have to work overtime. But once he injured someone else, it was time to <laughs> take that note seriously. <laughs> Uh, I was going to yeah. say, is that why his sword looks so dull in the movie? Ooh, Chris, you listening? Oh. Um, Dogging on your sword, bro. Well, oh. famously, he, Sean Connery, and Michael Ironside all hated the script and did it for the money. And the director also hated the final product and walked out of the premiere 15 minutes in. So this was not a well-liked movie by anyone who... Any of the main players. <laughs> 15 minutes in? I mean, what could they do in 15 minutes that was so different? I mean, he... Must have shot most I mean, of the film. So what? I think it was the zeist of it all, which we didn't see. But I think that the biggest sticking point, it sounds like, for any of the plot that really pissed everyone off, was them being from a different planet. Oh, and they added that without him is the idea. Yeah, that that was something done by the um, producers, the Argentinian producers, uh, and then <laughs> once, and then once he got his <laughs> renegade cut of the movie, he changed it to it being back in time. And the, 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 all he had to do to change that was change the weird 
voiceover of the like justices at the beginning of the movie. Also, I love that scene because it was like, okay, we have this renegade General Katana, like, doing whatever, but he abides by the justices. He's not gonna... He goes, That's okay. And then they go, as is our... So first off, as is our custom, people with this cursed immortality, which they don't really get into wh where that came from, are yeah. sent into the future. And the one who survives can maybe come back. And 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 it's like, if that's what they've constantly been doing, General Katana should have known that, too. He's all like, oh, goddamn justices, classic justice system. <laughs> I'm also a little... <laughs> about the the mechanics of this so like if you survive you know if you win the prize or whatever maybe you go back and all you get is to just live in like the mountain or the the desert that doesn't seem like a sweet deal also if if general zoltan wanted to prolong this couldn't he just keep get making criminals like just sending them through the system basically because like i did they, think once the bird people had been killed, I thought there were going to be more henchmen. I guess that they weren't birds so much as flying porcupine people. I mean, henchmen. they had wings. Well, I, mean, I, re I really got a porcupine vibe off them. Yeah. That's what I thought that they were. Because um, they had quills. Totally... They had they quills. But yeah, I, I did read bird because I made a joke about the magic flute and how they looked like the people from the Papagia yeah. number. I <laughs> Oh, yeah. They also had hoverboards and wings. Lambert stole one of the hoverboards. But I'm just going to say, yeah. I saw that scene, and my first question was, when did Back to the Future 2 come out? I have that <laughs> answer. It came out before, it, while this was filming, that movie came out. And mm. apparently it affected the design of the hoverboards. Wow, there you go. But Lambert did that hoverboard sequence that was a practical stunt done by Lambert on wires. It looked cool. Wow. Yeah, it did look cool. Yeah. They milked the shit out of it though, because yeah. for that that scene lasted so long, and nothing. He crashes at the end of yeah. the scene. It's like he doesn't even really fight the guy in hoverboards. It's just like well, it's and like the train sequence as well. Like I guess yeah. when there's no director, it's just a team of investors trying to maximize your entertainment. <laughs> They're yeah. Like the train well, is cool, make it go longer. I will say the escalating violence of the train sequence was great. I enjoyed <laughs> all the gore. Yeah, it got yeah. so intense at the yeah. end. It was just. At first, it was just like, okay, this is like a weird thing also, he was doing. Also, first of all, why was the train programmed to be able to go 800 miles an hour? That's what I said. <laughs> why did it crush out into the street, uh, like, it, through a wall out into the street? It wasn't even on a train track. And then why my third question about it is, why, if it's going 800 miles an hour, why wasn't Michael Ironside affected? Why wasn't he? Uh, yeah, exactly. I was, I was surprised by <laughs> that, too. Because he's an immortal, but he could get shot. I mean, he, he yeah, the bullet yeah. shots affect him. It's not like he's just like this crazy superhero person. Yeah. 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 But also, why did he even do that? Just to like, just to be chaotic? Like, it yeah. was like, there was no, yeah. he just landed and goes, yo, just fuck it. Land. Let's just see what yeah. happens. It's just awesome, I guess. It, it did seem like, in many ways, an attempt at an escalation of the Kurgan, where it's like the Kurgan was mad and was scary and was willing to do stuff like drive her around chaotically. But he, he seemed to have more limits than Katana. Katana was... Or at least a, more of a focus. Yeah, that's true. Any other gems anybody wants to go on about with the second one before I move into the next segment? No, give it a chance, guys. It's not... I mean, everyone should, like, watch it, I it think, with an open heart. It shouldn't have a 0% if the first one has a 62%. 69. 59%. <laughs> <laughs> I do think it deserves more than a zero just for the sake of inventive ideas in it, but I certainly loved the first one and didn't love the second one. Guess I saw a different movie. <laughs>
So before we get into the questions, I'm going to go over the other sequels real quick. So this was originally supposed to be a standalone movie, and it didn't do well at the box office. The second one happened because uh, it developed a cult following among fantasy and science fiction fans. Fans. Part of that was triggered by the novels that were written between the first and second movie. I don't know how many of them were written, but there are 10 total Highlander novels. So moving on from that, after the second movie was a huge disaster and everybody hated it, in order to get the rights back, they developed the TV series. So the TV series started before the third movie came out. Christopher Lambert did not return to play Connor. Uh, he is in the pilot, and he sort of like passes the torch to the hero of the series, Duncan McLeod, a descendant of the McLeod clan. However, the third movie, like I said, three and four, written by one of the writers of two, William Panzer, ignores the second movie erases it, essentially, and is a direct sequel to the first. It's called Highlander 3. It has multiple titles, the main two of which are Highlander 3, The Sorcerer, and Highlander 3, The Final Dimension. Uh, apparently hardcore Highlander fans, all of whom ignore the second one, say that the third one should have been called Highlander 3, The Apology. Okay. They're, they're Whatever. So more, more, more Highlander 2 for me, I guess, then. <laughs> yeah. After 3, there are two more live-action movies, which pick up on the plot of the TV series and star Duncan McCloud. And then aside from that, there is a second live action TV series, an animated movie, an animated series, a flash animated series, and four comic book series. So that is insane. Yeah. And so that UCLA undergrad is making, has been making money since that first one. Arguably, I, I guess hope that advisor got a cut. That advisor really <laughs> popped this right? I'm sure. I'm sure. Man, maybe he's a producer or something. I don't know. Yeah. I'd have to look into that. Um, not today. Okay. <laughs> I am interested in checking out three now, knowing that it's a direct sequel to the first. Yeah. yeah. I'd like to see what kind of brazen film turns its nose up and says, there is no second movie. So, yeah. I mean, isn't that just what Halloween 2019 did? It's just called Halloween 2. No. Yeah, so it's, it's weird for the it's weird for the title to acknowledge that the movie exists and the plot to not acknowledge. Or like you know, like that's yeah. a weird combo. Yeah, not well, get it. Thank you. Isn't Halloween 2019 a sequel to the first one, but not the second Halloween? Yeah, but Halloween, yes. Halloween, Halloween, Halloween 2019. is not cold. 2018. By the way, but oh, 2018. Yeah. Time, time means nothing. Uh, thank, thank you for joining us on Halloween 2018 talk, the only podcast <laughs> where we talk about ha Halloween 2018. <laughs> this, this is Travis's favorite character um so my, get, get us yeah. back on track <laughs> yeah okay so should question one should this movie have a sequel highlander yeah yeah okay i say no uh i think it has a definitive ending and i think it did enough in terms of the concept of the first one that to restart is to change the rules and so i say no i think Such it's an interesting world to explore yeah for sure yeah I think I think that I, I I basically agree with Paul, which is that I I can envision spinoffs of this that are consumable and good, but it I do think that it concludes in a way where nothing is going to top unless you really revamp something. Like I, I think that it does such a good job of just painting this picture and ending in a certain way that I think it doesn't need to have a sequel. I could see leading into the next question a plethora of prequels uh, because he's been around. All of them have been around so long. Mm -hmm. Or like a parallelical. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah. In infinite stories to explore in terms of immortals. So, right. 
So yes, should uh, sequel or prequel? What's the sweet spot? In this case, I would argue prequel would have been the better call. And from what I know about Highlander three, I think half of it is a prequel that takes place somewhere within the McCloud timeline. Oh, okay, mm. which sounds all right. Yeah. Well, so I don't know if this because my because when we get to the movie pitches, my movie pitch is gonna be a prequel. So I don't know if that was inappropriate. Oh, oh, that's okay. Okay, cool. But yeah, absolutely prequel. I mean, like because the fun of the half the fun of the movie is that it's a historical thing. Like you get to jump back in time and it's, and so when it's like with the way that they did the actual sequel, with it just being like a sci-fi thing that just feels so different than what the movie, I think kind of what to Travis said. It's like, if you like Highlander one, you're not going to like this random sci-fi dark sci-fi thing. And it's interesting that the fix they tried to go for was to make it back in time because that also still changes the rules that also makes it so that, History is not history, as we were led to believe it was in the first one. Totally. Like, I was going to say, the, the, the thing about the, the the other planet versus the past is that there's no version of what is available that makes sense. <laughs> Supposedly, a lot of where the original script for Highlander 2 came from before it started getting messed with by the producers was Christopher Lambert's insistence that Sean Connery come back. And so mm. they based a lot of their concept on how do we get this character who died to die. Yeah. <laughs> I don't, I, don't, I guess, a, do you have a a any information yeah. on why it was a coin toss between a different planet or the past, neither of which will resurrect a man and not just prequel? Well, they ne apparently never considered a prequel in, in, in all of building. I know that's two. Apparently, the reason that the coin toss between planet and time travel came up was because of the producers in Argentina, and they wanted it to be a different planet because they thought that would make more money. Like, I don't know. <laughs> something was lost in translation where they're like, well, more sci-fi, aliens, these are the things that people buy. Even on the alien planet or in the past, whatever we want to say, they're still named Ramirez and McLeod. Mm -hmm. But it's like, how, did, how was it the McLeod clan? Mm, like what like yeah. it's like they, like they happen to have these names that associate well with you know and do they it's not clear why McLeod and Ramirez don't recognize each other in the first film why does he remember shit later like af maybe after he gets surprised his memory comes back the, the, <laughs> the band-aid they put on it is that their punishment for rebelling in the past uh, <laughs> is that they're going to be sent to the future and they won't remember themselves but there is a link that, they, they, that they're not told about. They tell each other about <laughs> yeah. that the quickening, what the quickening is in the second one is that there's a magic that if McLeod calls out Ramirez's name, wherever he is, he will come help him. And one assumes that that is a call of Ramirez with intention and not just like, oh, my old buddy, I never told you about right. him, Ramirez. <laughs> yeah. I loved that when Ramirez showed up, his first line, or one of his first lines, was like, "Glad the magic worked." Yeah. Oh, just, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, well that's why he's back. Whatever device. Yeah, you know the magic. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I want to. I want to mention one more thing before. I will never bring up Highlander two again until. But but <laughs> it's uh that the katana and the comp the dynamic between katana and John C. McGill or whatever. Like, he just becomes part of the company. It's just like he has that one threatening boardroom scene, and yeah. they go, you know what? That's fine. You're my partner. Like, let's not... Cool. Well, <laughs> and does he have a reason for doing that? I mean, that's my 
question about that is like, does he know that the company, because he says he, what he wants is McLeod, but he's already found McLeod multiple times. Yeah. So I was like I, confused. Hmm. No, I didn't, yeah. I didn't, didn't look too hard at it. I just went like, yeah, the bad guys are together now. Like in Spider-Man three, they're just, they're standing next to each other now. And you're like, could okay. be that they edited a, an earlier part of the film later into the film. What, where Michael yeah. Ironside is like, now that I'm here, I'll, let me investigate my business ventures first. <laughs> I know. And it's, and it's like he's physically, the thing is, is the bullet scene shows that he's capable of being physically affected. Not yeah. like he won't die, but you could put him in a cage or something. Yeah. Like, it's not like <laughs> yeah. he's, you know, but, so yeah. they just like allow him. And then John C. McGill, knowing that this guy's immortal, like makes that snide comment, like, sounds like you fucked yeah. up. That's just where he gets his balls <laughs> yeah. destroyed yeah. and thrown out a window. Like, so confident so quickly. Like, this guy's so clearly a like, murderous. Like, all right, all right, I'm done yeah. with bringing up stuff from that movie. <laughs> Boy, I might have. I might have one more thing. In both movies, there are scenes in which the bad guy confronts the good guy and then says, like, we'll fight later. <laughs> and then disappears. And then well, you wait for five more scenes. Are, are, are both of those scenes on <laughs> hollowed ground? ground? Yes, they're on yeah. hollowed ground. However, in the first one specifically, I remember Connor saying, I'll be out front or I'll be outside. Like, I'm ready to fight right now. And then they just don't. I take that as a function of being immortal. You don't really need to get it taken care of today. Like doing yeah. something next month might be the same for us as doing something tomorrow. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. That's and I kind of not to spoiler, but I I do sort of deal with that in terms of the use of time in my in my sequel pitch. So okay, with that being said, let's get into them. Transition. Who else has a prequel besides Session? Anybody? I do. Okay, mine's so then like, mine's kind of like a a parallelical. Okay, cool. Well, so then it sounds like our order will be Suchin, Travis, Lauren, me. Um, okay. Suchin. Okay, yeah. Okay. Oof, I'm nervous depending, because I don't know if this, I don't know how, I, I, this is like a very loose pitch, but I'll, I'll just, I'll, I'll, I'll drop it. So. Now, Pendejo, shall we see what sort of swordsman you've become? It's Inversa Ramirez. Um, and the idea is that, so kind of the question I had is why do they know so much about the gather like why did they, why is it that this what i basically what my pitch is is that the gathering happened before one so like it do, it's like a cycle that goes on and that it's sean connery won the last gathering and so and i think it would be about him being kind of like a villainous person in the first one like he'd be kind of closer to the kurgan um and and through some process really like you know he like maybe finds his humanity, loses a son or something like that at some point. I mean, they can't have kids. He hasn't adopted something, something. Um, and it kind of, the idea is that it kind of explains why he wants to then find someone like Connor McCloud later and really become a, a father figure to them and try to train them for this thing. So, yeah. uh, and I think, I mean, and he just says so many fun things in the first movie, like let's meet Shikiko, that Japanese princess. I want to see, I want to see him meeting Shikiko, the yeah. princess. And, yeah. and I, and, uh, and so, I think it could just be a fun thing to watch him go through his escapades and win. You know, maybe at the end he talks about why, like, listen, I'm going to prepare this next generation. I'm going to find the weak ones in this generation and prepare them so that, that they don't, they don't fall like victim to what I did to so many people, something like that. I love that. And I also love what that does for the character of Ramirez, because to me in the movie, he seems so great yet. Connor's able to best him consistently fairly quickly after some training and he's the first one to die so that i like giving him more uh, bolstering his past 
I like specifically. To- and I oh, and I wanted to bring up one one thing that kind of led to this pitch too is that, but okay. so but they they don't get into like what why would Ramirez have been born so much farther ago? That gives Connor McLeod such an unfair advantage. He yeah. he has centuries of not having to worry about dying where other people were. So so that kind of backfills a little bit that yeah. Ramirez actually just was around for other quickenings, and so that's a little bit of a- gatherings. Yeah. Oh, yeah, God, sorry, gathering. Do you have a title? No, no. Uh, I uh, Highlander to the Gathering instead of the Quickening. No, I, I, no, I, I don't actually have a title. Uh, uh, does I, Ramirez have any kind of name like the Highlander or the Kurgan at any point, or he's just Ramirez? I yeah, he says he's from the Queen's Army or something. Yeah, I don't. Yeah. I'm not sure exactly. Villa Lobos. It would just be Highlander two colon yeah. Villa Lobos. Okay, cool. <laughs> cool. Uh, I like that. I can't believe that I. Didn't didn't think about uh, Ramirez is telling us about his storied and interesting history, and at no point did I think, oh, I could just do that. After the whole first movie, I was racking my brain like, what, what stories are there to tell? I forgot that Sean Connery was like these really interesting ones about this very important sword, and I'm like, uh, no, not that. I did real quick want to bring up. There's so much of Ramirez's scenes are spent on him telling Connor, "I'd save you the heartbreak of falling in love." Like, don't. <laughs> woman but connor falls in love over and over and over again and he's so happy like it's fine that is fine it's also sort of contradicted by ramirez himself because it's like he does all that and then he's talking to connor he's telling her a story about like so then uh, it was the girl i was there to save had died so then i hit on the other girl and it's just like oh (laughs) (laughs) right And then he hits uh, on that yeah, lady on the airplane in the second one. He with sure that does. Oh, gosh. Woo! Dirty comment. I yeah. is a lot. I'd never really heard something like that in a mainstream movie like this, so that was clearly just Connery is like, I've got something I use for yeah, this. Yeah, I think that's an improv. And I think it's probably yeah, something he's said to women. Anyway, Travis, your Highlander pitch. Oh. Okay, let's see. Um... You cannot win Ramirez. I am the strongest. <laughs> um, so unfortunately, it looks like I didn't. I spent zero time on a title. I have written Highlander Two. That's what okay. it will just be called. Not not exciting. This whole movie, you're basically going to want to understand his his co character for it because that's going to be the 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 thrust of it. So we're going to be focusing on McLeod's longtime buddy Drake, who he has a sort of um tenuous relationship with because all all of these highlander immortal types are vaguely enemies they know there can only be one so at some point there's going to be a clashing of swords sorry this is a character we haven't seen we have not we have not seen this is a new character and so his his relation their relationship is sort of a commingling of antagonists and buddies depending on where throughout time they meet um and our the opening of the film is going to be a sort of a montage-esque Thing where we just sort of get the flavor of their relationship. You can sort of think about the opening scene of, I think it was Wolverine Origins that showed Wolverine and Sabretooth going through the different wars together. Yeah. Um, so we're, we're going to see them throughout the centuries. We'll see them sword fighting on a pirate ship in the rain. Uh, we'll see them running in the desert together, you know, from some danger to an, o- an oasis. Those happy runs. Uh, They're the best. Yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah, well, yeah. Um, we'll see, um, Drake leaving Mac chained to a burning bar while he laughs and leaves. We'll see Mac and Drake toasting at, um, a wedding somewhere, you know, abroad. I don't know, but we'll always see them as different ups and downs. So we don't know what the relationship is, but it's always something kind of fun. Um, and the person who is obviously going to be playing Drake is Tony Todd. 
because I wanted someone who could live up to that uh, Clancy Candy Brown, Man. Michael Ironside. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I wanted someone yeah. who could who could kind of bring it because I want to set this sequel maybe in like, you know, 1990, around there. And the overall plot is this is going to be in America in like 1900. Um, Tony Todd is an antiques dealer in, you know, New, the New England area of, or something. He's sitting down at a very posh looking sort of restaurant in his, in his top hat or whatever, looking quite fine. Um, and then in comes McLeod and they sort of lock eyes across the restaurant and McLeod comes over and, uh, Tony Todd grabs his cane, which one can be assured there is a sword within. And McLeod has kind of got his hand underneath his long coat and Tony Todd kind of says, McLeod. And McLeod says, Drake. And uh, Drake says, is it friends or enemies this century? And McLeod pulls his hand out from under his jacket, revealing a black revolver. He sets it down between them, and he says, partners. Ooh. You know, Highlander. Ne- oh, um, wow, that's just the opening. Woo. Uh, yeah, that's where we're finally going to start our, our damn plot. Holy cow. Um, there you go. Holy shit, all right. Uh, and then from here, it's going gonna, it's gonna to get broad pretty fast. Uh, but the overall story is that there is the reason McLeod's in town is there is a new Black Rider. There's a new Clancy Brown gunning for immortals. And uh, McLeod wants to look out for his buddy Drake because even when they're enemies, they're, they have each other. Um, and this guy is coming out from uh, the American West, out where it's like, quote unquote, untamed West. And he's coming into town. Um, this man will be played by Danny Trejo. Huh. Um, so they're, they're, they're basically teaming up. You know, just like just like in the first one, they're just it's just going to be a Highlander fight. There's going to be some fun cowboy elements with Danny Trejo, but obviously, you know, you can't shoot someone's head off. Well, you could, but not not with a six shooter. Uh, so he's going to have a sword too. Um, I'm toying with the idea of him having a metal collar, maybe, uh, but I don't mm. really I don't know what to do with that beyond it looks kind of cool. Yeah. Um. So then him and uh, Tony Todd and McLeod are going to team up to fight this this cowboy-esque outlaw. Of course, they will triumph. Of course, there will be, you know, cool set pieces, whatever. I didn't, I spent all my energy working out the opening. And the, the picture is going to end with them have burning down some building. I think the antique shop, they've lured the black rider, Danny Trejo into a trap, uh, you know, sprung it on him. They can't cut his head off. Maybe they just, he's got that collar. So they burned him to death. That counts as, you know, head removal. So they kill him. And then McLeod's kind of like, what are you going to do? What are you going to do next? Drakey boy, Jakey, my friend. And, Drake says something to the effect of, uh, <laughs> of uh, well, maybe maybe the Black Rider is not the only one who died in that fire. And he picks up the black cowboy hat from, let's say, not the fire somewhere nearby. And he puts it on himself. And he says, maybe I'm maybe it's time for Drake to head out west and make his fortune there. And then, uh, uh, you know, McLeod says something cheesy like, well, happy trails, partner. Mm-hmm. And then they, you know, they part their ways. But in theory, the Kurgan kills him later. Yeah, that is the downside. I, I was talking to Lauren about that with my pitch yesterday is you you have to any new immortal character you introduce in a prequel, you have to assume at some point will be killed by someone by the time you get to Highlander. Yeah. So I thought about doing some spoilers for many, many Fast and the Furious movies. Thought about doing a sort of Han-esque oh. ending with him where you you sort of bittersweetly acknowledge that, you know, he's going out and maybe never to be seen again. Maybe these two friends will not meet again, but you don't want to live in that you want to try to give it a triumphant sort of silver lining moment okay cool yeah there is apparently a deleted scene from highlander that's about another immortal that the kurgan goes to destroy and that immortal is just sort of tells del tells him like i'm tired of carrying this weight of time 
just do it and like offers mm. itself. So perhaps there are some happier versions of an immortal's end. You know, <laughs> yeah, you maybe could. there's. I like I like your version of happy. Well, I like you just that. get tired. I mean, life cycle is what it is. I, I, did, I, I, did. I mean, I think it sounds it does sound really fun. Like I like yeah. I love that relationship and, and show you know a new. It, I think it's really cool to show this new immortal like that. I think that's that's awesome. Yeah. Great bit, Travis. Really, really well done. Thank okay, you. Lauren, you're par- parallel cool. Okay. I'm nervous. I'm nervous. Whew, whew. Okay. What am I supposed to say? Hmm? Amelia is an, an immortal, but she doesn't understand the extent of it. She's only about like 80, but she, she knows something's up, but she doesn't know 80? what the deal is. Oh, yeah. Okay. She's 80, but she's young still. Yeah. Oh, right. Okay. Um, hmm. She stars in a circus act in the early 1900s. Uh, her act is she is impaled with multiple swords and comes back to life before people's eyes. She is brushing through her usual group of hecklers one night after a show when she meets a man named Charlie. She's noticed him in the audience multiple times this week, and she feels an instant connection with him. Uh, they flirt uh, when they're suddenly attacked by a man with a huge sword, Ron Perlman. Nice. Ooh. Good, good <laughs> pull for the universe. Charlie and Amelia escape. We jump a little bit forward in time. Charlie reveals that he himself is immortal, just like she is. He's 400 years old, however. They move to Los Angeles together. Amelia makes a career as a stunt woman on the silver screen. Charlie teaches her the ways of the sword and about the life as an immortal and, like, the whole deal with everything. We jump, like, a little bit further in time. They have their life in Los Angeles together. Um, Amelia is showing Charlie around the empty set of her newest movie when Ron Perlman returns. They all fight, skill pretty evenly matched. Up, they land a few a few blows. Perlman's a little bit injured, and he angrily warns, "You won't outnumber me forever. There can only be one." And he runs off, defeated for now. Hmm. Um, and during this fight, they're fighting through like various like uh, movie sets, like conveying period various timelines. So they're basically like fighting throughout time and history. Um, she connects some dots, wonders why Charlie was at her circus act in the first place realized he was probably scoping her out to kill her uh they fight about it uh he's like no i i I, yes but i fell in love with you nice blah 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 amelia is upset she leaves him heartbroken trust broken um to clear her head she drives up into the hills ron perlman ambushes her having followed her the fight leads down to down the hill to the partially constructed hollywood sign Oh, Amelia is incapacitated by Perlman when suddenly Perlman is shot in the head by Charlie. Charlie helps Amelia limp further onto the sign, explaining that the only way to beat Perlman is to combine Amelia and Charlie's powers together. Amelia stops them at the W and refuses the idea. But Charlie insists, heartfelt goodbyes, and he falls backwards off the sign, hitting thin sheet metal leaning below, decapitating him. Oh, oh good aim. Shit. Yeah. Oh yeah. man. Stretching his neck the whole time. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was a gamble, but it worked. Yeah. <laughs> um, Amelia absorbs Charlie's powers just in time to meet the sword sweep of a suddenly conscious Ron Perlman. They fight all the way to the D before Amelia gets the upper hand, not by just by her skill at the sword, but by her experience as a stunt woman and all her tricks she's learned there. Um, she lands the killing blow, uh, absorbing Perlman's powers. Amelia is heartbroken, bloodied, and weary, but triumphant. We pull back to a wide shot revealing the whole hillside sign, Hollywoodland. Cut to black. Title, Hollywoodlander. Oh! 
what a good like homage to the first one like the the fight on the sign you know like yeah. that's so cool i love that yeah well first of all i wanted to comment that i was like oh boy if lauren doesn't have a title for this one i'm gonna suggest highlander all the way to the d <laughs> um, but two fun facts about the Silver Cup Studios fight. Apparently, the original ending was supposed to take place on the Statue of Liberty, but they changed it. And secondly, in the Silver Cup Studios fight, apparently you can see wires and there's all kinds of like technical issues with the final cut. However, the reason they didn't refilm it is because they caused so much damage on that set piece that they literally couldn't like their permission was just way past spent <laughs> denied wow. yeah wow <laughs> i was hoping that no one would uh would guess what the title might be oh yeah um, no you oh, heard it no i would never have guessed that that's amazing and you also because I, kinda, you saved the land for the end i think we can all agree my pitch was cool but then when you hear lauren's pitch you're just like oh who cares about travis's 1900s cowboy shit i want to see lauren's hollywoodlander stunt show but again, like with yours, we know that she dies at the hands of the Kurgan or someone later. Right. But that's fine. That's still fine. Yeah. Again, prequel is the way to go in this universe. That being said, here's my sequel. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Want to hear another theory? And I did play with some rules. Also, I did take a rule from apparently the novel, a well-respected rule in the Highlander universe, which is that the immortals stop their aging process, their like physical aging process, as soon as they kill another immortal. So upon experiencing their first no. quickening, that's when they stop aging. It's a good rule, though, I think, because they need to explain why they're different ages. Yeah, that's, that's like true. A, right. I'd buy that, yeah. It begins with McLeod addressing the UN as a guest of the United Kingdom. So this is a direct sequel to the first one. So he has the prize. He blows everybody's mind with his presentation in which he proves that he can read everybody's mind. When he reveals something particularly nefarious about someone, I don't want to say a specific country, an attempt is made on his, on his life. Like the person's just like, pulls out a gun. Fires oh, wow. He kind of like goes over the broad strokes of what his situation is. He states that now that they know the truth, he'll be back in 25 years to once and for all help them settle things and with everyone's cooperation, finally, truly make the world a better place. The United States ambassador does not like this one bit. He doesn't like mm -hmm. this guy or the cut of his chin. Yeah. Now, well, yeah, I don't mind shitting on the U.S. You know, if it was made in the 80s, it would probably have been Russia, but I'm going U.S. Sure. U.S. is the bad guy here. Down. That night... <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I'm giggly because that night, Connor makes love to Brenda. When, <laughs> when he climaxes, all of the spirits of the other immortals are released. Sort of the reverse of uh, what we see at the end of... Oh, no, not, not into her. So they're out, where out, they out of him him into the world. Out from where, Paul? Okay, yeah. Paul, out out of, from where? Yeah. When he climaxes, where do the spirits it, come out of? It's not a central point. It is from... It, it looks they actually like, come out of Brenda. Brenda's it, mouth and eyes just start, like, ghosts start appearing out of... That <laughs> could work. Uh, you know, there's no rules to these magic. So, when he climaxes, all the spirits of the immortals are released. And when that's over, he says, I think you might be pregnant. So, funny Highlander moment. Um, yeah. 
Not only does this lose Connor the prize, he is just a man now. But his daughter, Juanita, would seem, is an immortal. Named after Juan Ramirez. Yeah. Anyway, something he finds out by way of a would-be tragic accident. I don't have it specifically, but my first thought was like he drops her in a river and then finds her down the river perfectly fine and then says like, let's not tell your mother about this. A lot of hilarious <laughs> cloud moments. Um, <laughs> upon his discovering that Juanita does not possess the prize, though she is mortal, Connor realizes that challengers will eventually come for her. And so he begins training her in all forms of combat. Basically, mm. him procreating starts the cycle over again. And now new okay. immortals are born all around the world. Mm. Wow. The United States ambassador also discovers, coincidentally, that his son is an immortal and brings him to challenge Connor, who he still believes in, is an immortal, when both he and when, when both the boy and Juanita are still children. Connor fights them off, but spares the boy, whom has named himself or his father has named him the victor. It's not until she is the age of 16 that Juanita kills her first immortal challenger herself. And Connor explains that she will grow no older now that she has done so. So she's 16 forever. Drag. Okay, oh, then, and just because I want to see this, he tells her the story of his first beheading of an immortal, and we get to see it. So we get a backstory of the Ooh, first. Ooh, that's fun. I got to see. Got yeah. to have you. Nine years later, Connor, now a weather old man, returns to the UN and brings Juanita along. He explains how his immortality has passed to her and the circumstances surrounding the prize. The U.S. ambassador, whose son has grown to be a gargantuan and fearsome warrior, insists that no further time can be wasted and the gathering must begin so that a winner can be decided. And so the U.N. hosts a tournament of the immortals. Uh, so the gathering is essentially like a all at once event where all immortals are called and all the battles happen back to back to back. Connor considers this an abomination stating how these young immortals have barely lived and can't be expected to shoulder this great responsibility, but it falls upon deaf ears. Battles are fought immortals die. Juanita falls for one of the other other immortals. And that one is struck down by the victor, the U S ambassador's son who himself has an eye on her, like is starting to fall for her. Connor hates himself for causing all of this and makes one last attempt to convince the remaining warriors that the prize should not be necessary to make the world a better place. <laughs> they can do it together if they work together, basically. Some of the remaining immortals flee the gathering, leaving Juanita and the victor as the last left to fight publicly. Juanita throws down her sword, putting herself at the mercy of the victor, who, despite his crazed father's insistence, cannot bring himself to kill her. When the ambassador himself tries to kill her, he's killed by his own son. Juanita and the victor, now friends, call back the other immortals and form a tryst in cooperation with the UN. Years later, Connor dies as an old man. So wow. his daughter and his wife bury him. The world at this point does seem to be a better place. And the victor who's attending the funeral, comments that it's a shame that Connor couldn't have been an immortal. And Juanita responds, he is. I call this movie Highlander, The Final Gathering. 
Nice. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Do you cool. have any cast in mind, Paul? The first person who came into mind for the U.S. ambassador was Christopher McDonald. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. Do, do they they just no longer feel compelled towards a, a gathering, or they just are going to worry about that later? Well, I think that to some extent they do, and that is part of what they exploit to get them all there. Like, there's almost like a putting out the call. I, I, yeah, I assume that there would be magic involved. It's Well, because they're all so young, I feel like a lot of them would be coming from wh- wherever they're at in the world not really knowing what the deal is also like so many mm-hmm. of them would not be aware of what's going on. And the only reason that the U S ambassador and his son are aware is because of Connor's uh, original conference at the beginning. But I mean, I mean, after, cause after they make their truth, after the, after they decide to not have this. Oh, I see. Are, are they compelled to see? I sort of wanted to almost leave that as a possibility for a third movie in which mm, okay. the question is, can this last? Totally. Yeah. He could have sort of like the secret ace in the hole where he's like, oh, I am immortal now. They don't know that my immortality juice turned back on. Oh, because I gave father to child. Right. Okay. And now, and now he can jump back into the fray or something. I don't know. I don't wait, why to... did he wait 25 years? Like, what's the oh, point just of waiting 25 years? Give them time to get their houses in order. Like, mm. now that you know I'm here as your gatekeeper or your the coach or the guy yeah, that yeah. can, you know, can, that can best you all, you better clean up your houses. Basically. I buy it. Let's get into the voting and the way that we do voting on this show is that we vote for as many concepts as we like and would like to see. Including our own if we want. Yes, exactly. Including yeah. our own. So we're just going to go. Let's wait, I'm so, I, 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 I just want to vote for everyone. That feels like a, all right. Yeah, okay. uh, yeah. This, this comes up a lot. Because well, I we'll kind of want to vote for everyone's. So, shit. I, I've already I've already internally decided to just vote for one person so that I don't. Oh. 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 Okay, okay. I've yeah. already decided who I'm not voting for. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so let, we will start uh, with where we started. So how many for Highlander 2... <laughs> Villa Lobos. I. Me. I. Oh, nice. I like that you went Scottish with it. So we've got three for Villa Lobos. That's a pretty strong start. You can vote for yourself, Sachin? No, he. I, well, I just said I was oh. only going to vote for one person, so like that makes me like I'm not going to vote. I, yeah, so I won't vote for myself. <laughs> okay, so then we move on to Travis's prequel, which was Highlander Two. Just Highlander Two. I. Yeah. So that's got two votes. Okay, we are now moving to Hollywood Lander. Oh, yeah, me. I. Okay. That's a three for the. Okay, last but not least, Highlander The Final Gathering. I. I. Oh, three. Okay, so we, have a, oh, we have a three way tie. And they're con- Wait, did you both vote? Did all of you vote for your own? Because then I'll vote yeah. for mine and win. Oh, yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> this is the quickening! Yeah! Yeah! Does everyone vote for their own consistently on the show? Yeah, Not a great system sucks. <laughs> okay. I have to imagine if we have any listeners, they just hate that the whole concept of the show is a competition that always devolves into this Mario Party. <laughs> I mean, bullshittery. I, I think I think that they hate when the competition aspect doesn't work. Probably because it is a showdown. Because otherwise, then what's the showdown? <laughs> I do know that you hate the competition, Travis, because you're so you're our, you're our sensitive one. In the uh, I don't think so. <laughs> uh, I think you guys are all just 
jerks. Well, I don't know. Everyone <laughs> says that you're so sensitive, so yeah, <laughs> everyone's talking about it. I knew it. No, I mean, I put it the nicest way. It's like it's a boy band, and Travis is the sensitive one. I thought that was a funny one. Oh, really? Or <laughs> the like? <laughs> okay, well, let's move into unsung heroes. Hit it, Paul Junior. Unsung heroes. These movies, in my IMO, are full of unsung heroes. I mean, just full of these. And I think that this is a product of the 80s in general. These side characters and extras that are just fan-freaking-tastic and really layer the movie well. So I'm going to have our time uh, narrowing this down. So I'm going to let everyone go first. First off, the, the security guard who so actively doesn't care that the S.H.I.E.L.D. Corporation is getting broken into. He's like, it's a fish! Like, oh, there was yeah. this weird scene. <laughs> and it was like, it was so long. It's like, and like, the, it was it was just so weird that he's like adamantly defending against these two security guards. And yeah. also, I love that, obviously it's pre-recorded, but it shows the video camera, the security camera, after he turns away, actually starts focusing in on yeah. the criminals. Like, it, like yeah. the, the screen itself is like auto-focuses on the... So I thought that was great. But then I, I think this maybe takes it and it really it's not really even it's like an extra it's not even like a it's not even like a a secondary character (laughs) but there is the when they're starting the shield up for the first time (laughs) and they're all in the blast dome and 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 there's this line that i love which is like okay every power center in the world we're turning on like like he's like talking to every major city's power centers and he's saying stuff and we see that they go okay everyone get ready and there's a shot of two people running away from the and there's a vehicle that's driving yeah. away also and it's like who are those two people there like i just like would love to imagine that they're like oh fuck it's today and like are running away from the or from the explosion that's about to happen so yeah. I, I think i give it to you guys uh mine was um the same the same security guard i really enjoyed his read his board read of fish live in the lake <laughs> Um, I also, I also do agree. It's really, it almost seems like he's working for the enemy <laughs> with how, how little he's interested in barely doing his job. Almost just agreeing to let the man he's talking to do his job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I like the, uh, the guy who just happens to be walking by when the hoverboarders are like going around. He just says to the hoverboarder coming at him super fast, you got a light. And oh, then yeah. the guy just like fucking oh, sets totally. out the fire. guy. Yeah. <laughs> Right. Yeah, yeah. Forgot yeah. about him. Yeah, he, yeah. that was great. That was man. devastating. Oh wait, this also this reminds me of one I forgot to mention. The taxi driver. It didn't even make sense because Katana's like destroying his cab, and he's like, "Oh, you'd love oh, my oh, sister." Yeah. Like, like for the longest time, I was like, "Am I mishearing the guy? Like, is he still like so excited about like?" Because then, it, then Katana starts threatening him, and then he gets scared. But like for the first half of him destroying the cab, he's like, "Oh, oh, oh this is great! Like, so I love you." I got the impression from what he was saying about his sister, and just but sort of that vague shot early on when um, McCloud is uh, being driven down the street, and there's that woman, I guess, being raped or like uh-huh. the naked oh, woman yeah. oh, around. It's sort of yeah. like they really want you to uh, get the sense that this city is just like past the point of no return, fucked up. So I think that that's probably part of it is it's like, oh, yeah, my cab gets destroyed all the time and my sister's nuts. So (laughs) (laughs) so I guess I just thought of that as more world building. In the first one, the guy who works at the Italian ice stand and the cops are getting Italian ice 
and the guy is reading the newspaper and he's saying like, what does incompetent mean? Oh, and then, <laughs> and then he's oh, like, yeah, yeah, he's so good. He really brings so much <laughs> personality to that moment. And also like, I love that that line could be read so many different ways, but the implication on him is like, you know exactly what it means. You're just, you're just poking these guys. Yeah. And then in the second one, I have two. One is just a perfect example of ADR. It's the bartender who loves McLeod. But Jimmy. Yeah, Jimmy, the bartender, yes. The one line that got him on this list for me is McLeod says, you're a good boy, Jimmy. And then Jimmy goes, hey, hey, bottoms up. <laughs> just as a response to anyone of, hey, hey, well, bottoms up. I love that. Um, and then my my number one candidate for Dung Sun Hero in the second one is, there's the truck driver that during the battle sequence with the porcupine bird people, his truck gets destroyed and he's driving. Yeah. And like, But the first thing that happens is like his window gets blown out and just he doesn't have any lines, but he goes ah, ah, ah. <laughs> like him <laughs> having three short bursts of screams really spoke to me because I was like, you never see that. And that's pretty accurate to what a person would do where it's like, losing control. Oh, 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 oh. Like, uh, I, I really like how instantly. His windshield shattered, and yeah. instantly he his hand was out there yeah. moving the glass. Not <laughs> yeah. a second's panic. And it was, I, he reacted like I would react. Where it's like, yeah. oh, my God, oh, my God, oh, God. <laughs> yeah, so I really enjoyed that. Um, I guess we'll, we'll, we'll cut it there. You know, I do always feel bad just, just for the sake of loving agreeing with you guys when we don't, when we aren't on the same page. But I do also think that that adds to the charm, hopefully, yeah. of what we and do. It's all, it's all good. Yeah. 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 I would much rather discuss our differences. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Than just agree at each other. Let's close out our show. Yeah. So um, I can pee. No, yeah, yeah. Our audio. yeah. You know, consider it closed. Say goodnight, Gracie. Follow-up showdown. The movie we were talking about today, 1995's While You Were Sleeping. We've got some rock star guests, Kelly Nineltowski and Mark Witten. I must say, I, I hate the title. It just sounds inherently creepy. That could probably be a name for a horror movie. Totally. Totally.